Hello, my friends, and welcome to a very, very exciting new episode of Phantom Talk. We are so incredibly excited to start this new series. If you have not heard about this or this is your first time joining us, this is a perfect place to jump in. This is a new segment called the Star Wars EU or EU Review. Um, today is just kind of an opener where we're going to just be talking about just our love of the Star Wars franchise in general and the different things that go into that. Um, here next week, we're going to be doing our first official episode with me and Al, where we're talking about The Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule, which is the first of the Higher Public books. So you've still got time to pick that up and read before uh, listening to that podcast. And then, of course, we've got a bunch of different things planned throughout this year with different video games, different shows. Um, and yeah, just all different kinds of Star Wars stuff. We're going to be doing this monthly, and we are so excited to get started on it. Um, one of the first things I did want to talk about before I am going to, we've got two very special guests with us today, as well as different members of the fan correspondence. Um, but I did want to go ahead and just say something just really quick. Um, Star Wars over the last couple of years has been, let's say it's tumultuous, uh, fandom, if you will. And I just want to go ahead and just go on record and saying that this is going to be a podcast where we are attempting to come at these conversations with love and respect and reverence to the franchise that we love, um, trying to just ignore all the toxicity that has come with it, especially in the Twitter years um, since uh, really Disney took over and then everyone kind of exploded. But honestly, let's face it, that's kind of this been Star Wars pretty much since the internet started. So I, so I can't be toxic on this one. No, you can't be toxic oh, on no, this I'm one. I'm probably just going to You're probably just going to leave? Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but yeah, we just want to, we want this to be a very open and very inclusive place. If you're new to the Star Wars franchise, this is the perfect podcast for you because we're going to be talking uh, trying to do it in ways that everyone can understand and everyone can enjoy. So we just want to kind of get that out there just real quick. Um, and uh, yeah, if you've ever made a death threat to anyone or any kind of threats like that, just don't even listen to this podcast ever again. Uh, we don't want you here. So anyways, um, moving on to introductions, trying to be a bit more professional. I apologize. Um, first off, we have got the Grandmaster. The wise sage, I'm going with Star Wars references. Mm. The wise sage, Josh. Josh, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Doing Do, real good. Doing well. Good, yeah. good. Then we have got just like the hologram from Geonosis to Coruscant from Obi Wan Kenobi uh, through the magic of Skype. We've got Al. Al, you doing all right today, man? Um, I'm doing well. I'm kind of sad I didn't get um, a Jedi title like Josh did, but I'll get over that. So. You, you got to be the Obi Wan reference. I got I got to be a hologram, so so I'm doing well <laughs> in my hollow state. It's, it's good stuff. Well, ten, well, right next to you, you've also got the the other hologram. So so your holograms together. So there's that. Uh, we also have Alyssa. Alyssa, you doing all right today, dear? I want my own hologram platform. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Excuse, <laughs> excuse me. Your own hologram. I, I apologize. Okay. You, you're the hologram from Jabba's Palace that R2 has. There, there, how's that sound? A little bit better? Where you get to be Luke? I'll take it. Okay. I'll take it. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> then we also have uh, my, my good friend, the chef extraordinaire, hotter than the fires of Mustafar itself. Jim, Jim, you doing all right today, man? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for the in uh, introduction. Excellent, excellent. And, of course, the smoothest scoundrel around, 
DJ, you doing all right today, man? I am doing fine. Thanks for the introduction as well, Jacob. Excellent. Excellent. All right, guys. So we're just going to just jump right in. Oh, excuse me. Yes. I'm the EIC, Jacob Vance Hardesty, running this uh, wild, crazy show. Uh, we're just going to be kind of jumping in. And uh, Josh, we're going to start off with you. Okay. Yeah. Just, just starting off with you. So... Josh, what got you into the Star Wars franchise? What was the first thing that really got you into the franchise? Oh, uh, wow. Okay, so Star Wars is probably... Um, it's, it's the first movie series, or the first movie I was actually attached to, uh, probably. Um, I had a, a, a older cousin uh, that lived across the street from me uh, named Alan. And one day I went over and uh, I used to hang out in the, in their living room quite a bit. Uh, their aunt, my aunt, made fantastic chili. Gotcha. And so yeah. we would go over there and I would just, you know, just kind of sit there until chili was made. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, fr from a very young age, I knew I knew where the food was. Sure. And uh, so I was sitting in the living room and he walked in and put in Empire Strikes Back. And I was just amazed by the world. I had seen several times, um, like posters and stuff of Star Wars, but I didn't really know what it was. I had, you know, no connection uh, to to the to the series as a whole, uh, other than just like, you know, knowing that there were laser swords and robots essentially. Mm -hmm. um, but watching Empire Strikes Back, and I remember, you know, distinctly uh the the scene that was like the one that just had me attached to the screen was uh was when the ATATs are coming across you know and you see them first through the binoculars uh before you see anything you know like you just kind of see these big giant things you're like what is that you know uh and that reveal is just something that drew me in a couple months later in in complete uh shock you know um like I go over to my cousin's house and for whatever reason he had taped Return of the Jedi off the USA network. Mm. It only taped from where Yoda dies. Okay. Uh, and then to the end of the movie. So I okay. missed all the job. You, you missed like the first yeah, like 40 minutes. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and I watched the end of that. And, uh, and that was my, that was my star Wars experience for a while. Um, and so like, I would, you know, I, I, I got into it, you know, and then I would, I would, you know, kind of try to catch the movies on TV. Um, it was very hard to actually rent the movies around here. Um, cause they were either a, the movies that were stolen the most from movie warehouse mm. and blockbuster or B this is, this is gonna, this is kind of giving away my age, but there was this really big, uh, drought of the star Wars VHSs between like, I would say like 1986, 87 to when they did the, when they put them back into the theaters. So it was very hard to find those movies on VHS because um, back then Lucas was really weird about putting stuff out. So I, I didn't get to see my, how that's changed. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> um, so I really didn't, I really didn't get to see the first movie probably until, you know, about when, maybe 92 93 something like that mm -hmm. uh so so then i saw the first movie and so then i had a concept of the entire the entire thing and how it worked and everything so i kind of saw it second part third part and then first part um and then i then from that moment on i was just into it just uh we had books a million 
Mm-hmm. Books a Million had its own Star Wars book section um, where I could go and read the best books of all time. Mm. Uh, the first uh, Star Wars uh, novel I read uh, was Courtship of Princess Leia, um, which I think I've discussed before with, with some of you. Uh, that was the first novel I read. And from that moment on, I was just grabbing as many of the Expanded Universe novels as I could, reading those. Uh, read, obviously, the Zahn trilogy. Uh, read a bunch of the comics. Uh, read Tales of the Jedi, the Civil War, all that stuff. Uh, and then, by the time you came along, mm-hmm. you you remember that they had redone the Powers of the Force uh, action figures, uh, which was a big deal. One of the greatest toy lines of all time. And one yes. of the greatest toy lines ever. And I guess it would be either your second or third Christmas was the was the year I got all of it. Mm-hmm. Like I just got the whole line um, for Christmas and got the Millennium Falcon and all that. Uh, and so I mean that was the solidifying uh, moment of me as a of, of like you know like this is this is the this this is this is part of me now. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and so yeah, and, and so I've just been uh, an extreme fan ever since. Yeah, yeah. There you go, uh, Jim. What about you, my friend? What what got you into the franchise? Uh, well, I mean, I was you know uh, being born in '88. You know, it had already been out for a bit. My dad was a huge fan, and we grew up watching Star Trek. He was a huge, more of a Trek fan, and so we watched that all the time. And and I enjoyed it, but I remember the first time I watched, uh, he popped the the movie in. I guess when I'd gotten old enough to understand it, and we watched it together. And I remember thinking like it started out like Star Trek a little bit, you know, that first scene of like the whole ship coming into view. And, mm. and I was excited, but I was like, okay, well, this is just more of my dad's stuff. And then the more that it played, the more I realized it was, it, you know, it had logic, it had reason to it, but it was, you know, I mean, it was this, a space Western, you know I mean? It was, it was much more fantastical in its approach. And I just fell in love with it. And and I probably, I mean, there were so many tracking issues on, on that, on that tape, just cause I would pause and rewind my favorite moments over and over again. <laughs> Um, you know, and I was probably about seven or eight and I just became obsessed. Uh, and then when they re-released it in theaters, um, I went with my father to, to see all three, uh, as they released them. And it just, I remember being a child, I mean, it just completely blew me away. And then I was, you know, a young teenager when the, when the prequels came out, um, and originally they got a lot, a lot of hate too, but, um, I was just enthralled, you know, I mean, everything I saw on the screen and then I started getting into some of the books and uh, the video games and everything. And it just became very quickly became a part of my life, my, my lexicon. Uh, you know, I was going to grow up to be a Jedi and I would always wear, you know, my bathrobe around the house and find sticks in the yard. And it, it just was part of my childhood growing up. And it has now become part of my adulthood as well. Absolutely. So, so do do we still wear the bathrobe and find sticks from time to time when when we, when we can? Except now I can afford, you know, as an adult, I can I can afford to buy like lightsabers. I guess if like I really the, want. Yeah, the, the lightsabers. Yeah, of course. There, there you go. There you go. Not as sturdy as uh, as my original lightsaber design when I was a child, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh goodness! Well, that, that that's great, man. That's awesome, uh, Alyssa. What what about you, dear? What what really got you into the franchise? Um, so quite the opposite of my like Lord of the Rings experience. My introduction to Star Wars came like way later than most people, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um I watched the the first one when I was like 12 or 13, I think. Um 
my stepdad, who my mom was dating at the time, found out that we had never like even really heard of Star Wars and was like shocked and appalled. And so he over a long weekend, we sat down and we watched through all of them. Um, He made us watch them in chronological order, though. And so the first ones I watched were the prequels. And mm. I was like, OK, this is this is just OK. So, like, the big, like, twist and surprise um, in the originals, like, I didn't get to experience that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that was my introduction. Um, He also had, like, a massive collection of the novels. Um, A lot of, like, the expanded universe stuff, a lot of, like, the Han Solo stories, and um, a lot of... Just like the afterwards kinds of stories. Um, I read the Jedi Academy trilogy. I read the original Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn. Um, That's probably still to this day some of my favorite Star Wars stories are those three books. Um, Courtship of Princess Leia, of course, read that one. Loved it. Um... (laughs) Kind of like that one kind of made Luke's little battle with the Rancor like that much more sad. (laughs) But yeah, so read through those. Um, Really the bulk of my Star Wars phase happened from ages like 12 to 15. And then it kind of dropped off for a little bit there. Um, And I just sort of picked it up more recently but yeah that was my introduction to it nice yeah that's um i've i've always been interested in anyone who had seen them in chronological order or had uh had been showing them recently like i I know there was like that there was that thing going around like years ago where like the correct viewing order was apparently supposed to be uh, episodes four and five. You don't watch Return. You go back and you watch two and three. And then whenever you supposedly they were like, well, whenever you watch Return of the Jedi, the first thing you see is Luke's all in black and he forced Luke's like a Gamorrean guard. And then they were like, so maybe he became a Sith in between Empire of Return, you know? And they were like, maybe he turned the dark side like his father did. And I don't know. It's, that part's kind of kind of silly, but, you know, it's... Yeah. it's. I suppose it adds, like, a little bit to it, I guess. I, I think know. it's pretty silly. I think it's pretty silly, too? Yeah. Okay, well... Yeah. yeah. It's pretty yeah. silly. It feels, it's yeah. just kind of convoluted i think at that point. yeah I, th- I think that's kind of i think i think that's kind of the thing if you if you do it like that it's a little bit too convoluted yeah and lord, lord knows uh star wars particularly in some of the later lore can get convoluted in its own right so um yeah. dj <laughs> what no, oh i'm sorry Alyssa. go ahead no no it's okay oh okay uh dj what would you say what got you into the franchise my friend what was really kind of your first big moment with it DJ, you there? Okay. We might have lost him. Hey, Jacob, can you hear me? 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There, there you go, brother. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's been cutting out a little bit here and there on my end as well. But for me, I'm not afraid to show my age. Um, my love for Star Wars happened with the prequels. Gotcha. Uh, and prior to that, you know, in my household, my uncle and my grandfather loved Star Trek. I could, for the life of me, never get into Star Trek because all you see is this ship, the Enterprise, of course, you all may know who's Trekkie fans, always keeps on getting blown up. I'm like, this makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so one day, 1999, um, Uncle, my grandfather, took me to go see Star Wars for the first time in Phantom Menace. And so, you know, as soon as the movie started, I'm over here thinking, wow, this is a moving book. So, you know, the crawl, of course, everyone's seen Star Wars. I'm just like, what did they sign me up for? Oh my God. <laughs> and so, you know, just going on. Into the movie. Ends up being this big superhero who got honestly changed the destiny of the fate for this universe. And so from then, of course, you know, after that movie was over, I had to go back and watch the original, which, you know, my grandfather and uncle told me about. And just seeing, you know, Luke for the first time, Han, Chewie, just kind of get to know them, their backstories on the kind of journey they embarked into the galaxy, kind of defeat the Empire, mm-hmm. Vader. And it's just really opened my doors to, you know, the books, the games, um, spinoff, as you know, TV series, and just seeing what, you know, the lessons you learn from Star Wars, the fun things that, you know, was awesome to see teaching your kids and just my kids now and so honestly it's the prequels just really opened up the doors for me and i mean honestly this has been a blast yeah that's that's awesome man yeah it's i've i've always loved the idea of you know like most of us most of us learned because because of you know fathers or uncles or older brothers that and it's been kind of like it's 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 constantly a legacy thing just like the skywalker saga itself and so i've always always really liked that aspect of it. and of course now like you were talking about you know now you're gonna be able to show your kids you know star wars and everything and that's just that's great man that's awesome um well al my goodness what got you into the Star Wars franchise, brother? I, I, you know, as funny as it is that we we've ta- we've been wanting to do this for a while, I don't think you and I have ever actually talked about what got you into it. Um, yeah, it's true. I don't think we ever have. Um, and um, first off, I just want to say um, I am already in love uh, with everything that's, that's happened so far this so episode. episode. Um, one reason, obviously, because I like to hear people talk about how they got into the things they love um obviously but i'm um, also um i'm really glad that uh the next time um i see my father-in-law um i can hold over his head the fact that he had the opportunity to do one of the greatest twist reveals in the history of science fiction and apparently he was just like no you're gonna watch the questionably good prequels first and just <laughs> yeah. completely skip over that I'm glad I wasn't the only one. I think it was that. like a trial by fire. Like, a, well, if you can get through these, then, you know, the originals, you'll be fine. <laughs> but, but, um, but, yeah, that's probably um, not the course that we will um, take one day uh, with anyone who we show the, the movies to for the first time. But, um, <laughs> that's all you, baby. But, um, I, uh, it's interesting. So, I've talked about, um, you know, how everything, uh, how basically almost everything I'm into, I've gotten 
from um, a member of my family at some point. Um, um, my love of horror films I've gotten from my mom. Um, my dad gave me my first um, set of comic books um, that I read, um, things like that. But um, this is one of the things that I got kind of randomly from um, one of my extended family. Um, when I was younger, when I was like t- um, 10 or 11 or so, uh, when my family still did the big family gatherings um, over the holidays, um, we were doing a big family get-together for um, for Christmas. Um, and um, the family was all spread out. And at one point, I went into one of like the off rooms. It was like an office-slash-den area. And I found my Uncle Brent. Um, and Uncle Brent was um, sitting down. He was about to pop in. Um, the VHS um, and watch it because he wasn't into the whole huge family stuff, um, uh, which I don't blame him, especially now as an adult. And um, and he was just like, hey, you want to watch um, s- s- something with me? And I was just like, yeah, what is it? And he was just like, it's it's a it's a Star Wars VHS. It's called Return of the Jedi. And I was just like, I don't think I've ever watched Star Wars. And, and my Uncle Brent was just like, OK, well. Let's do it. And, um, <laughs> and so he, he popped it on and, um, you know, we open up on Luke Skywalker just eating the collective lunch of everybody at Jabba's Palace um, <laughs> in, in one of the coolest action sequences ever. And um, at that point, as a 10 year old, I was just like, all right, yeah. This is tight. Like I, <laughs> I see you, Uncle Brent. Like this is this is pretty cool. Um, and so afterwards, over the next uh, couple of years, I watched um, the rest of them. Um, I kind of fell off it for a while. Um, I went to college. I just kind of focused on other things. Um, that's not to say I focused on academics because by other things, I mean I got um, a lot more into comic books uh, <laughs> than Star Wars, um, as every good college um, student does. Um, but, um, after college, when the sequel trilogy started to come out, um, I got a bit more into it and that's when I started to, um, um, read the comics more, read the books more, um, revisits some of the shows and things like that, um, that I wanted to, um, get into. And, uh, the more I found out about it, the more hype I thought it was. Um, and I'm all about, um, spending my free time on, on cool hype things. Um, so, so Star Wars has become a pretty, um, constant, um, source of hypeness in my life. So that's kind of where we're at. It It is definitely a solid source of hypeness. That's, that's a good, it's a good description of Star Wars. Um, yeah. So Josh, we're going to move on to you, my friend. Um, you've got the first question because it's a question that. Al has brought up multiple times, okay, and he's even he even brought it up. And we for for those of you listening to this, we have actually recorded the the Light of the Jedi, the first technical episode um, already. He even brought it up in this, and so uh, I am curious, what classifies a film as a Star Wars film? Um, some people have said that certain films within the series don't actually feel like Star Wars films <laughs> in themselves. So I'm curious, what technically classifies a film as a Star Wars film? I'm so glad you asked this. Oh, are you now? Okay. Uh, so already I'm going to be the, the 
you want to make me the bad guy of the podcast? I I never you. said that. That's I what was, you want to do, though, right? I okay. I never said who said those things. All right. So so the the reference here is to the fact that I've said several times that Rogue One is not a Star Wars show, mm. and I've I've Spicy. made I've made Josh this, tread carefully. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've, I've I've made this case. Those are final words. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, this this is not a this is not a referendum on the quality of the film or anything like that. Um, but for me, a, a Star Wars a Star Wars film, uh, particularly in the first six, has a pretty uh, has a pretty clear concept of of what it's going for. And essentially, for me, they're based around these concepts of taking something that is essentially um, novelty. Novelty entertainment, basically. We know that Lucas got his ideas basically from, you know, the the 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, dinosaur uh, space novels, essentially, Buck Rogers, those kind of things. Um, and that, that's always thrown out as like, you know, when, when people say we can take this stuff so seriously, it's like, well, Lucas got this from the, you know, from the from the dinosaur novels and all that kind of thing uh, that, that people say it all the time. His other influence, though, is basically the hero's journey, <laughs> you know, which is famously, you know, he's hit. I'm not going to say he's the first move there. The first movie that's used it, but the first effective movie that's used the hero's journey was Star Wars. Um, and so there's this concept to me where the Star Wars movies are attempting to take this novel concept of, you know, just a space adventure but adding stuff into it that makes it basically transcend the genre. So things like, you know, in when you're dealing with Star Wars, you're dealing with a, a movie, a movie series that in the third one essentially tells you that the way that Luke is going to win is by throwing down, letting go of all of his power that he's gained throughout the three movies. Okay. And winning by, by, tapping into the love that his father has for him that his father doesn't even know is there. Okay. Now we're used to all of that now because that came out in 1983. We we've all grown up with that concept. Mm -hmm. Okay. But when that happens in 1983, I mean, name the movies that do that kind of thing. I mean, I mean, particularly name, name the genre movies that do that type of thing. Genre movies don't do that now, you know, even some that probably should. I mean, that's kind of how black Panther should end in a lot of ways, but we still kill off Killmonger and Black Panther. That's true. So, like, what ends up happening then is is you have a movie that Lucas, whether it, and and all the creators around him, and that's another thing we probably need to get into is that Lucas is not the central creator of all this, but but Lucas and all the creators around him are wanting to elevate this form. That to me is what makes a Star Wars movie: the concept of elevating the form, okay, and making it into some taking yes a, a space adventure that a five year old can love, but also taking that space adventure that a five year old can love and having morality and spirituality in it. I have a hard time doing that with Rogue One because Rogue One very clearly from the beginning is essentially a a a, a movie that is there to be like, hey guys, you know Star Wars can be dark too. Cassian's going to straight up just shoot this guy here in a second. So it's going to be dark, okay? All right. Have, have, I, have I told you Star Wars can be dark? Okay. And it's also a movie that at the very end of it, at, look, I know we love it. If Jenny ever listens to this, she's going to get angry at me for it, okay? Because she loves Darth Vader. And look, we all love Darth Vader. But this is a movie that has a celebratory scene where Darth Vader 
just destroys the Rebel Alliance. And like you wouldn't have that in hardly any other in, in, in any other movie. It does. It, it's so tonally weird with, with the rest of Star Wars, in my opinion, because when the Star Wars I grew up with, if, if I can be the old man of the group, mm-hmm. when Darth Vader shows up and chokes the guy out at the beginning of of New Hope, that's a horrifying scene. And yet now the Star Wars we've all grown into. When Darth Vader shows up and slices through all these guys like he's, you know, Mike Myers in a Halloween movie, well, that's a good scene, and, like, we're happy about it. And so, like, there, there's a weird tonal shift there. So, for me, it, I, I'm getting off track, I know, but, like, if, if you want to know, for me, what makes a Star Wars movie, okay, I just go back to that concept of it's a space adventure that's elevated. That's what makes a Star Wars movie. Um, and, and also, uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was DJ who talked about Star Trek. If you want to know the reason the Star Trek movies don't work, it's because they don't do that. They don't try to elevate their, what they are beyond anything other than just the, the enterprise is going to get blown up and there's going to be Borgs, you know, and that's probably one of the reasons why those movies don't resonate as well, you know? So for me, the, the Star Wars concept is space adventure with, you know, that's a morality play. With spirituality that's elevated transcends the genre that's what makes a star wars film to me okay yeah that that was a very good answer actually i'm, I'm i don't I'm know very, if it was or not I, i'm pleased with it you know um but yeah okay i'm upset you're you're you're, you're upset I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm so i'm sorry dj i'm sorry yes i am i am well why what what's 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 your response brother Oh, I gotta tell you, I'm sorry, Josh. That was beautiful description of Rogue One, and your thoughts behind what makes Star Wars Star Wars. However, how I see it, Star Wars is Star Wars based off a story, a course, a music score, and what you're getting out of it. As you know, Star Wars is like you said, it's a space adventure, has a great storyline and things of that nature. But however, if you do recall, part of that story in Star Wars, I believe it is episode first at the New Hope, when they're talking about, you know, many Bothans die bringing us these codes. We don't really know how they got those codes. So to me, this fits in perfectly because just like Star Wars is supposed to be this happy, good, feel-good movie, some people think, there is a dark side to everything. Like you said, there's always a light side and a dark side. We need to know how they got those plans. And let's be honest. Darth Vader choking out some of his um, commanders and generals was back at the time. That was horrifying. I completely agree. But no one has really seen the full power of Darth Vader. So at the end of Rogue One, even though he's mauling down these rebels, everybody sees this commander, Darth Vader, somebody who just gives orders, force chokes, only has a battle with Luke Skywalker. Most fans don't really see his full powers as far as reading the books, comics, uh, extended universes like you and I do. So seeing his full might on that ship, getting those plans kind of puts in perspective, okay, for not the hardcore fans, but the fans who are getting into Star Wars, Darth Vader's no one to play with. And that's why I'm a little bit upset because, yes, Rogue One to me is probably one of the top four movies because of the story. And because they took the element somewhere that not everyone's willing to go. Because most people looking for a movie for the heroes always win. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Because 
everybody has a part and not everybody is successful, but because of their sacrifice, you see what the rebels were able to do. And that to me was a story that definitely needed to be told. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, that's, that's, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I do. Yeah, I got you. Moving on though. <clears throat> uh, and, and very, very, very well, well put DJ, of course. Um, and also, uh, feel free to hit us up in comments. And maybe, do you like Rogue One? Do you not like Rogue One? What what constitutes a Star Wars movie for you? We would love to hear from you all. Um, but moving on, uh, Jim, <clears throat> I am curious, my friend, because this was this was a question that I wanted to ask because I knew someone was going to say that Koto or Knights of the Old Republic was their favorite game. So I was curious about this. Because a lot of people have been really wanting this to happen as like a Disney Plus series or a movie. Do you think a production, movie, series, whatever, about Revan would actually work? Or do you think that the fans have built him or her, depending on who you created, up too much in their own heads? Do you think that the storyline of Revan themselves would actually work or do you think that it's something that really just kind of needs to stay within the video game itself uh that's a really good question and i it's i mean anything like that is a double-edged sword you know i mean i would love to see a production of that done well but would it live up to the you know the ideation that's been built up i seriously doubt it i think if they were going to do a production about Reverend specifically in the Old Republic era, <clears throat> it would be neat to go back, uh, you know, to the, the Mandalorian War um, and kind of focus on who he was beforehand and, and not try to answer what the video games fleshed out. Um, because, I mean, the video games were, I mean, I really enjoyed them um, and I still do to this day, but, you know, they're they're campy. You know, it's I mean, it's the, the classic kind of like Andy Kaufman type um reveal you know at the end of that game and that's fine uh there's nothing wrong with that but I, I really don't think it could be done well um not to everybody's satisfaction so i would rather see them explore if they're going to focus on rep explore other aspects of his life you know um especially with, the, with the, the mandalorian hype right now um it would be really cool to see you know the neo crusaders and and, and some of the some of the other aspects of Mandalorian culture kind of clashing against the, the Jedi, you know, the huge basilisk droids and stuff crashing down. Um, I would be more interested in, in that production than I would, you know, the kind of Keanu Reeves-esque Instagram hype that they have about <laughs> right now. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, especially with the... Because I, th I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's one of those things where... If they tried to just do the KOTOR storyline as a film or as a show or whatever, it wouldn't land as well because everyone already knows the twist. Um, right. Even if you haven't played the game, you know the twist. So, you know, but but like you said, doing more so the story of Mandalorian Wars, why he or she, they, they fell and the storyline with Malik and everything else, kind of doing a lead-in to KOTOR, I think would actually work a lot better. And like you said, would actually tie in a lot more with Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and the this kind of... I mean, the Mandalorians have always been well-loved, but now it's almost even more so that people who are 
I don't like to say casual fans, but people who haven't read all the lore, even they are interested in who the Mandalorians are now. So I think I think that would I think that'd be really awesome to do something closer to that. Yeah. That era too. I mean, that was the heyday. You know, I mean the Mandalorians we see now are are, you know, kind of broken apart and and kind of spread around and um you know so i mean it it, w- it would be neat and also to to kind of add on to what you said which i agree with completely um the the other side of it too is when you have a when you try to base something off of a game like that it rarely does well when you have so much player control in the game i mean the, the some of the stuff in that game was very um you know for storyline i mean you know you're gonna find out the twist regardless of how you play the game mm-hmm. but you, you know, if you t- if you take away the reason people love Revan and the reason I love that game is because of the involvement, because of how, you know, you as the player shaped the character and how you saw, uh, you know, Revan um, and, and how you played the game and how you interacted with the other people in that game and built the story up. So to take all of that away, I think would be slicing away a huge part of why people love it in the first place. Sure. Yeah, no, I definitely, definitely agree. Um <clears throat> Kind of, kind of in a similar vein, um, actually, Alyssa. So the the two main char- the two main questions I wanted to ask you were actually about your two favorite characters. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, because you had said that Mara Jade was actually one of your favorite characters. Now, with with the way the sequel trilogy has gone, the way the sequel, sequel trilogy has told that story. Do you think they could ever bring Mara Jade into the storylines in a different format, like where she has no connection to Luke at all? And honestly, in in your opinion, I I, I know she's a great character and everything on her own right, but do you think that her storyline of the redemption and everything from being the Emperor's Hand would actually be worth it if she is not connected to Luke? Well, what are your thoughts on that? Um. So it's interesting because... I feel like she's very similar to like a Black Widow type character from Marvel. Um, And I think there's definitely a lot of room to tell her story, but they would definitely have to change some pretty significant things from when that character was was originally created. Um, I I don't know, honestly, if they could ever... Like, the way the sequels ended, I don't know how they would go about telling that story unless they, like, went back and did something in between the originals and the sequels, um, whether it was in a show or something like that, or if they just gave the name of the character and, you know, that background information of being the Emperor's Hand and being this essentially assassin assassin for the Empire and all of that and just created a new character out of that base, that character base, basically. Um, I think a game would be super fun. Um, I don't know much about that side of the world, really. Um, (laughs) I'm not huge into gaming, but I could see that being really fun. Um, I think it might be suited for a show rather than a movie, but yeah, that's I I don't know. I don't think they could create I don't think the way that things have panned out they could introduce that character going forward. It would have to be like a you know, something that happened 
previously before the sequels came out um, or just kind of creating a new character based on her. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, I definitely do understand that. I mean, it, you had, you had mentioned Mara Jade and she was kind of fresh in my head because a lot of people had been saying they wanted to see her in the new canon. And my immediate thought process was how exactly would they do that? Because, and, and of course a lot of people were comparing her to Thrawn and how Thrawn has made such a comeback within Rebels and within the new books. But Thrawn's storyline doesn't have a, an integral connection to major characters with the film. Like, obviously, he interacts right. with them, but, but you can do his storyline being a, being like, this happened in this side of the galaxy. You know, I mean, he's literally from, isn't Thrawn from the Unknown Regions anyways? Or around? Um, yes. Or? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I, I was just kind of curious, curious about that. Um, but, uh, yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's my answer. I don't know. <laughs> Perfect. Very I'd very to... professional. You know, it's yes. it's great. It's great. Um, Sorry. Sorry about no, that. No, no, no. You you are you are you are absolutely perfect, Melissa. No. Um DJ. So one of the things I noticed when um I asked everybody the same four questions, just to kind of get an idea of everyone's kind of knowledge of, of the world of star Wars and, and uh, really just kind of helped me kind of figure out the questions to ask different people. Um, out of, let's see, six people we had, it was almost an even split of empire and return of the Jedi for favorite film. Now what's interesting is empire is kind of the, it's kind of the obvious answer for a lot of people where a lot of people say, you know, it's one of the best movies ever made. It's one of the best. It's definitely the best of the series, so on and so forth. And it is very, very well made. It's fantastic. You know, can't say enough good things about it. However, Return of the Jedi is also one that I hear not even just from this group, but from a lot of other people as well. And what's interesting is that there's very little middle ground with it where you either adore Return of the Jedi or you i've heard complaints about the pacing of the opening which i think is which for the record i think all the complaints are stupid because i love return of the jedi but here we go i've heard complaints about the pacing of the opening i've heard that luke's plan should not work at all um i've uh, heard a lot against the ewoks which at that point i just stopped listening to people because if you don't like the ewoks i don't know what to do for you um <laughs> but i am curious okay why do you think that film resonates with so many other people? The people who absolutely love that movie, that's their favorite. I mean, that's my favorite Star Wars movie. I know that's Josh's favorite, and you said it was your favorite. So why do you think Return of the Jedi resonates so with so many people? Well, honestly, um, I can't speak for a lot of people. But to me, well, first and foremost, one thing... I think we can all, all agree on about Star Wars, no matter your opinion or beliefs, the long time brings more and different perspective to these movies and to the books. So very honestly, my perspective for these movies has changed variously, but the one that has remained the same for me is that no matter what people say, as far as Yoda, uh, Odin, that he has to confront Vader and defeat him, well, he did defeat Vader, but in a way that most people 
aren't expecting as far as a duel with the lightsaber, even though Luke did win that battle, he beat him by reaching to him spiritually, something what Josh said to himself. It's a battle between father and son. And to me, it just shows you, you know, no matter how far Darth Vader went down the wrong path, there was always still good in Darth Vader, and Luke was able to bring that out by not fighting him, by opening himself, making him vulnerable to Vader, showing them that, you know what, hey, no matter all the planets you destroyed, my friends, you're tortured, they're still getting you. And to me, that is the biggest meaning behind Return of the Jedi. And, and I think that's what resonates to me the most to be my favorite because the story is just, it's just hitting all cylinders. Yes, the intro was kind of slow, but of course there's deleted scenes that never made it to the actual drawing board or to the big screen that some of you may know. Um, but it's just that line right there is just, you know, conflict with the father and son and just showing him again, I have to repeat myself that he's willing to open himself up, you know, kind of, put his friends to the side basically and worry about his issues with his father and that turned out to be the strongest bond that the emperor couldn't beat between a father and their son yeah no Sorry, I, it's a little deep, but no it's no dude, dude <laughs> you're, you're, you're good you're good no that th- i think that really hit the nail on the head um no, I've always just Return of the Jedi. I mean that that's the scene, you know, like that the the finale with the Emperor and Luke and Vader, and then you know, t- I mean, of course, one of the greatest scenes in Star Wars history is tell your sister you were right. You know, you were right about me. You know, it's one of the it's just one of the best scenes in film history, in my opinion. Not not even just in Star Wars, just in general. Um, so no, you are you are absolutely correct. You hit the nail on the head on that one. Um, I'd like to add in there um, on top of that, because that was a beautiful answer and I completely agree, but for me it was like, it's also that level of um, it's the complete cycle of Anakin, you know, like his attachment and his misunderstandings about what love is and isn't, you know, and so to be bested by someone that he loves and kind of see that like, you know, that attachment to being the best and the most powerful to save Padme in the original and, and, having to having to take this power so that he could do something that he was afraid that you know he was afraid he was gonna lose her so he had to do this and then realizing with luke that these unresolved attachments and these unresolved emotions that he has that he thinks are fueling him were bested by the person you know somebody that he has those unresolved feelings for i think it 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 hit home that complete uh, resolution that he missed out on uh when he was still a jedi Oh, absolutely. I agree a thousand percent. But like Master Yoda said too, you know, that fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, you know, it's it's interesting, Tim. I've never actually really thought about the, the, the idea that love is what really made him fall in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, even if it is, you know, misplaced and, you know, misconstrued, but it's also love that saves him at the end, you know, and, and the, the attachments, like you said, I've never, never actually really thought about that implication of it, but that's, that's really cool. That's a really good way. So look at that. I've, I've watched Star Wars my entire life and have, you know, loved this series. And even this is one of the reasons I'm so excited to do this podcast, uh, not even just with, with these wonderful people, but also going forward, just, you keep learning new things about this franchise and that's, and keep having new perspectives and everything. And that's, that's great. That's a great 
great answer, DJ, and great addition, Jim. Fantastic. Um, Al, my good friend Al. <clears throat> I, I was trying to figure out how to put this question because I was, I, I, I did want to talk about it, but I did not really, it's difficult for me to exp- to ask it really in this way. But how do you feel about how they have opened up the concept of the Force in the recent years, primarily since Disney took over, but even in just even in just different books and different things they've done, whether whether it being in new different abilities that have been discovered, but more importantly in you know in films like The Last Jedi, when they're really trying to focus on how really anyone can have the force and any, and it's really something that it really connects everyone. Um, even up to the point of, if you look at the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian is not force sensitive, but the force is definitely very strong throughout that entire show. What are your thought process? What do you think about how they have really kind of adapted the force to the mod, to the more modern, uh, storytellings? Um, yeah. Um, I think that's a great question. Um, it's, it's interesting. I remember when I first started to read the expanded universe stuff. Um, one of the first things um, I texted y'all about, I texted the group chat, is when I was reading *Heir to the Empire*, and there's a sequence where where Luke Skywalker is flying in his X-wing, and there's like a whole whole space battalion of uh, of Tie fighters and um, and tie bombers and things like that in his path. And they're trying to get through this kind of blockade that um, the remnants of the Empire have set up. And Luke is just like, well, I think what I can do is I can fly out there and I can use the Force to just kind of like um, disrupt the consciences of all of these pilots and then we can like fly by them undetected. And I remember I texted y'all and I was just like, what? <laughs> like, this is... This is absurd in comparison to some of the other stuff we've seen in like the movies and um and like and some of the cartoons and things like that. This was just like an absurdly overpowered um use and manipulation of the force that was just like wild to me. Uh, but it wasn't something I hated. But um to go into your question, it kind of serves as like a contrast where I feel like recently um the depiction of the force and the way we understand it has kind of changed from these older kind of depictions these um like the old canon um of the expanding universe where it was more you know this is a super powerful thing um that who can do because he's in touch with the force and the force can do these absurdly powerful pseudo spiritual acts um, that basically allow him to do whatever he wants to because he's Luke Skywalker. Um, and in contrast with that, we see the Force used in ways that, it, in a lot of ways, are just as impressive, if not as in your face um, about it. So, like, like one of my um, favorite sequences from The Last Jedi that you bring up is um, at the end where where Luke is so in touch with the force, especially after having um, cut himself off from it, as we learn earlier in the movie, that from where he is, he's projecting 
his image and projecting his voice and his interactions um, to to where uh, Kylo Ren is and where this um, last big showdown is happening. He's projecting himself to that, and in that way he holds off the First Order. He allows uh, his friends and uh, the Resistance to escape. And to me, that was such an impressive display of in-universe what the Force can do. Uh, now, was it as like astonishingly overpowerful as as Luke flying into the void of space and just being like, hey, I'm going to give like a temporary aneurysm to this legion of of Imperial pilots? Um, no, it wasn't as as raw, brutal strength like that. But it showed a more intimate understanding of what the Force can do. Um, and also, as you said, this idea that... Um, the force can be understood and be used by anybody. Uh, this idea that the force isn't some genetically um, based predestined thing that like the few elite of the universe can use. It's the idea that anybody can tap into the force, can commune with the universe around them and reach a new potential and do impressive and important things. Uh, that's what Ray, up to the beginning of Rise of Skywalker, um, for me, that's what Ray was kind of a symbol of, and that's why I was so into Ray as a character when the first um, two of uh, the sequel films came out. Because I was just like, okay, this is um, just an extension of that idea that you can be anybody, you can be nobody at all and still be in touch and in, and in tap with the universe and with the force and be able to rise above what you are and what you have been and and reach a new power and new levels of intimacy with that. Um, of course, that was all kind of trashed by the time we get to the end of um, The Rise of Skywalker, that entire idea. But for what it was and as long as it was, um, I thought that was a really kind of beautiful evolution of of what we understand of what the force is and what the uh of really what the central message and takeaway of the star wars stories is um is that it's important to be in touch with the world around you and to be in touch with others uh, regardless of who you might be and where you might have come from yeah i can't tell you how much I agree with that. Um, yeah, that's that to to me the the re and the reason I wanted to ask that when when Yoda is talking about the Force when he's explaining the Force in in Dagobah, um, and of course and he talks about how you know luminous beings are we, not this crude matter, and he and it binds and penetrates all of us. I've always loved that concept. That is something that connects literally everyone. It's another way that Luke is able to connect with the things around him. And 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 honestly, it adds another element into this idea of closing yourself off from the Force, um, which, of course, Luke does. Um, and I, I don't know. I just – I that whole concept of turning away from something that is literally helping the galaxy, that is literally holding the galaxy together is interesting to me. If you choose that route or allowing it to guide you 
as as you should. You know, that's just I don't know. I just I just love the whole concept. And I love everything that they've done with the Force over the last couple of years. We talked about you know in light of the Jedi, the different things they're able to do, um, and the different ways they talk about the Force is just really really interesting. Um, but but that's but that part is for the next podcast. So you know, look forward to that. Um, moving on. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm going to have to jump out uh, here in just a second, but uh, I, I did want to bring up one thing um, about what you all were talking about because I, I loved it, and I, and I was thinking about this when um, when Al was talking, and I just wanted to get your opinion on it. Um, th- that duality that you all were talking about, you know, this kind of like um, this universal force that that does bind everybody, and then the the kind of subjective actions of, of Jedi and Sith and how they uh, you know, might or might not influence what happens in the grand scheme of things. You know, that that idea of the Force, um, I don't know how much it's permeated other other lore and, and everything, but I know that for me it's always been, um, you know, the idea of the two Force theories, you know, being like the unified Force theory and then the living Force theory. Um, and, you know, like some notable, like, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn was notably like a, a living Force uh, theorist and stuff. But, um you know, it, it's kind of that, that 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 duality where we see Jedi doing incredible things with the Force um, in, in the present moment to alter an event, like the Force projection that Luke uses um, to to save the you know against the the the, the First Order. Um, you know, that was quite notably like a, a living Force thing. I mean, he he believed he had to act, and so he did, and so that altered a a, a situation. And then the the other side of that being the, the unified Force theory, where you know there's because it connects all things, there's almost like a subtle consciousness, you know, the, the will of the force, you know, like that idea of, of, a, of a will being in something that uh, isn't necessarily always personified as a subjective entity that wants something, um, but it's p- quite possibly the, the you know, the, the validation or the, the exemplification of complete harmony in the universe. And so it, it kind of gets hairy when you're like, you know, if, if somebody's a nobody, by societal standards, you know, she was a nobody because she was dropped on this like backwater well, lack of backwater planet. Um, and so, but in the four, you know, in the unified force theory, you know, it's kind of like the the largest objective truth. You know, there's no way to quantify that with any subjective value, even in the sense of a story, you know, spanning nine movies. So I just wanted to throw that in there, just because I thought um, I thought about that while you were all talking, and it kind of reminded me of that that old debate yeah i think that's kind of the i think that's kind of the interesting thing uh about it is the different is like you said the different ways that different jedi even view the force um that's something that's even coming up in some of the latest novels that have been coming out um different jedis believing in the force in different ways um and it's just i I don't know it's just it's really interesting i think we've barely scratched the surface on that aspect of this lore um but uh, but Jim, before you go, I did want to go ahead and ask you the next question. It's a, and it's one that probably is going to be fa- fairly quick, anyways. Um, and also, thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. This has been you've been great on here. Uh, I know you got to go, like you said, you got to go a little bit early. Um, but you've got the first question talking about the different favorite characters. Um, so you said the Obi Wan Kenobi was probably your favorite character, and so I'm curious, leaning in with the different aspects of the Force. How a Jedi is supposed to act and everything else, in your opinion, is Obi Wan Kenobi the greatest Jedi of all time? 
Uh, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, for me, he is at least at least in the story that we've seen, um, because he I think he's the most balanced, um, especially what you know once you get to you know episode three and um, you know even in even some of the throwbacks you know in the, in the Clone Wars and stuff, uh, he's just he thinks a lot more than he did when he was younger. He's less brash. Um, but he he kind of unites those two aspects of the force, I think. I mean, you know, like uh, the scene that comes to mind is, you know, when he sees Grievous there um, and all these droids, it might be considered brash to jump down with the the iconic hello there <laughs> sarcasm. But, mm-hmm. you know, you can see you can see him thinking about it uh, actively. Um, and I think that he made the decision that he had to make. And I think that that's why I like him. Uh, and plus, not to mention, you know, Alec McGinnis, I mean, uh, Alec Guinness, I mean, just blew my world apart. You know, the first time I saw a lightsaber, and he was the one to introduce that. So there's there's definitely sure. some some emotional attachment to, to the idea of Obi-Wan. But just as as we see him progress as a Jedi, I think he does the best job of exemplifying what their role actually is and balancing between, you know, the pacifism and the wisdom uh, and the compassion of Jedi uh, with the kind of uh, executable use of the force that we see in like Clone Wars uh, as a, as a soldier and and as someone who's actively using the force to manipulate, um, you know, large scale uh, sociological corruption and, and all kinds of stuff. I think he just does a good job bringing that balance to light. You know, it's, it's interesting because of the way DJ said it earlier when he talked about how time kind of changes your thoughts on things. Obi-Wan has always been one of my favorite characters. The older I've gotten, the more I've realized that the entire point of the prequels is to show you why the Jedi were failing, like, as an order. But I think it's really interesting, like I said, even the older I've gotten, whether it's in the both versions of the Clone Wars cartoon, the uh, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith... And presumably it will be in the Kenobi show. Obi-Wan is such a stalwart, almost shining, shining example of what a Jedi is supposed to be. At the very least during that point in time of what they are supposed to be. The the guardians of peace and the Republic and everything. So, no, I can't... Uh, I, I, when you said Obi-Wan Kenobi was probably your favorite character, I was like, yeah, no. he's It's, it's hard not to put him up there. Especially... You know, we're we're all kind of similar in age where we we grew up with the prequels, you know, in a lot of ways. And he is definitely the character to attach to in a lot of ways, because if you've if you know anything about the lore, you know anything about the the original trilogy or anything, you're you're already kind of thinking to yourself, well, we know what Anakin's going to become, so we can't really root for him. But Obi-Wan, especially with Ian McGregor's performance, just has this this tenacity that just kind of brings you in but but yeah no just the the characters is great man the perfect it's the perfect juxtaposition against anakin especially in the prequels you know because i mean there's there's a bit of humanity to him you know you see him kind of i mean he he screws with him i mean he's he's constantly poking and prodding and um and he doesn't realize it and you know that humanity that's brought out and then later we see that humanity as his complete love for anakin and and you know, we can kind of start connecting some of the dots there. So, I, yeah, I, I agree uh, with what you said. And um, and I also want to say thank you so much, everybody, for having me on. I really enjoyed this. I'm looking forward to to the future and um, to the future podcast and seeing you all get into it. So thank you. Yeah, th- thanks so much, Jim. You have a great night, man. You've been fantastic on here. 
Uh, and of course, obviously, you're more than welcome to hang out as long as you want to and listen. Um, moving forward, uh, Josh, it's actually good that we kind of talked about um, Obi Wan Kenobi leading into your favorite, one of your favorite characters. Okay, so Yoda in Empire Strikes Back talks about you know wars not make one great. Talks about the Force as this big thing that connects everyone. You know, luminous beings are we, and so on and so forth. Your weapons, you do not need them. Then you contrast that with Attack of the Clones. <laughs> um, where, you know, you talk about a celebratory scene for a lot of people. And, of course, me watching that movie when I was eight, you know, or seven or eight. Um, I was like, oh, sweet, Yoda has a lightsaber now. Okay. But as we have already discussed, the older I've gotten, the more I've kind of realized that's not really who Yoda is supposed to be in a lot of ways. So I am curious, do you think that the prequels hurt Yoda as a character or do you think it actually works better that since he is such a higher up, he's the grandmaster of the council at the time, that it actually helps to illustrate the fact of how the Jedi are falling? Well, I, I think the the way that... I go back and forth on the lightsaber thing because at its from a from a purely thematic standpoint, having Yoda show up with a lightsaber and just fight uh, is really counterintuitive to the character. That being said, um, there is so much cool stuff with Yoda and the lightsaber. It's really hard to it's true. <laughs> to to downplay it uh I, I mean i you know i remember the room we're sitting in right now i remember all i remember me and you watching Gennady tartakovsky's clone wars oh yes and the first scene of that is yoda on that on, little on the kai buck on, yeah, on the kai buck you know just riding by himself against the uh the uh, the droid army you know i mean and so that it does create an interesting um it does create a uh, um, uh, an interesting image with Yoda, uh, and I do think it could have worked if there had been some way that Lucas could have worked into, you know, like at the end of Revenge of the Sith, he realizes that maybe focusing so much on being a warrior as opposed to being an actual Jedi is what led to all this to begin with. Mm. Um, but Yoda, the Yoda, Yoda's hurt in the prequels more by how his actions just don't make sense in the prequels in a lot of ways um he's creeped out by anakin like just from the beginning okay like you know like i mean he tells and i mean like th there's that poster you know that has you know uh that has anakin as a boy as fear um uh anakin as a teenager is uh anger uh, Anakin as uh, as, as yeah as uh, in Revenge of Sith as hatred, and Anakin as uh, or hold on, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hatred, hate leads to suffering, and then Darth Vader is suffering. Have you seen that poster? Mm -hmm. Okay, Yoda calls that. You know, Yoda Yoda tells everybody. You know, at a when Anakin's age nine, exactly what's going to happen here, and then at the end of it, well, it was Qui Gon's dying wish. So you know. All right, twenty-two-year-old Obi-Wan, let's give you the shot, <laughs> you know, at you know, raising space Jesus here, you know, and like it just, it just, it, it, it really the 
stuff like that is really hard to it, it's really hard to to wrap your head around the empire strikes back yoda and that yoda um and so like if there had been and, and just he's he's not very active in the events like like things are happening and like you know like he's like he's really like i you know i i, I don't i don't want to suggest that we go that we you watch the plinket stuff because it's horrible mm-hmm. or the red letter me to plinket stuff but like you know it, at the end of attack of the close he's like the clone wars have begun and you know plinket's right he's like well you started it dude like mm-hmm. yeah. you know like all these all these things that like he's really sad about but they're all from his making um and so, like I, th- that kind of thing is just really difficult for me to to quantify the two, you know, as as being almost they're almost different characters. Mm. <clears throat> but um, you know, the it, it's the Yoda in Empire Strikes Back. If 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 you if with the prequels, a lot of times what you have to do is you almost have to read in to the themes that could have been there, and the Yoda in Empire Strikes Back there's a sense that he's all um, that you could say he's almost trying to show Luke not to do what, you know, or, or not to fail in the same way that they all failed back mm-hmm. in the day, you know, wars do not make one great, you know, don't take your lightsaber in there. You mm-hmm. know, you know, if you're not powerful without your lightsaber, you're not really powerful. He didn't say that, but that's the gist of the whole point of the, the tree. So like, the uh, that to me is is stuff that I think kind of gets lost in the prequels. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Uh, at the same time, though, I'll never forget being in the and in, in being in in the theater. Mm-hmm. You know, when he when he just kind of hobbles out. You know, and we had that one guy behind us that said, mm-hmm. "You know, kick some ass, Yoda." Mm-hmm. And like yeah, it was just, it was. A, I mean, it, it was a moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't you can't deny that's 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 a moment. <coughs> um, was the moment we needed? I don't know, but it was a, <coughs> it was it was a pretty famous one, and uh, you know, one that at the time I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. That, that's very true. You know, it's when when I was writing that, I like even as I was thinking back to it, I was like. But man, like you said, the Giddy Tarnikovsky, the first thing you see is him on the Kybuck. I have that figure yeah. where he's got the little Kybuck and everything. And I, I was like, that's such a cool scene. You know, so I was like, I, I don't know. It's it's one of those I kind of go back go back and forth on it. But like you said, I really I like that idea that he's he knows that they need to do better. And I think that's really brought home in The Last Jedi when he's talking to Luke about failure. Um, and cause I think that's kind of the whole point of both Yoda going into exile and especially with Luke going into exile is that they both failed, but they both had to learn how to be better because of that. And they had to learn how to make sure the next generation did better. And so I, I, I don't know. I really just like that aspect of him. Um, but, but yeah, um, moving on Alyssa. So. I'm I'm so curious. So I, I I have a confession to make on this podcast in in front of everyone. Go on. I know what happens, and yet I have never actually read the Thrawn trilogy, the original Thrawn trilogy. It is something. Yeah, even Josh has given me a shocked look. It's something I've never actually sat down and done. 
The first book is um, happening later this year on EU or EU Review, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, I know the story beats. I know the basic things. However, I am so curious on your thoughts on why are people so obsessed with Grand Admiral Thrawn as a character? I don't know, man. He's just really neat. <laughs> He's just really neat. Okay, yeah, no, yeah. I, that that works. Yeah, I, I can expand on that if you would like me to. Please, please. Yeah. So the first introduction to him, um, is interesting because you're kind of looking at it from the perspective of like one of his subordinates, um, and they've just suffered a loss through you know space battle because it's star wars and typically you know when you think the empire when you think oh god like they've just lost a ship or they just lost this battle or whatever you're used to seeing scenes of darth vader you know force choking people or the emperor doing whatever it is he does um and so it's interesting because the first thing that the first introduction you have to Thrawn is like in that sort of setting where they just lost part of their fleet or they just lost this battle. And he comes on to scene with this subordinate of his, you know, kind of you're kind of taking his perspective and he goes in and he's super nervous and super worried that he's about to lose his job and or his life. And he walks in and lets him know what's going on. And he's just like, yeah, well, that's life, man. Here's what we're doing next. We didn't really lose. You know, they don't know much more about us. We're good to go. Um, and that's like a very rough summary to avoid as many spoilers as possible for you, Jacob. Um, and he has a really interesting take to just war and politics in general, um, you know, studying culture's art to figure out everything he can about them through their art and through how they express themselves, um, which is a really interesting take. Um, it's, it's fun because in the original Thrawn trilogy, you see this very, like, pulled together, um, very, I don't want to say laid back, laid back would be the wrong choice of words but this very pulled together very direct very patient person um and then in the ascendancy series i haven't read all of it yet i've only read the first one but it's sort of like thrawn the younger years where you find out more about his backstory and how he ended up working for the empire and how you know just his origin story essentially where he came from and like within his culture he was actually like a little bit reckless and a little bit of like a show off <laughs> um so it's just fun kind of seeing that um you learn that he's actually from like the outer edge of the galaxy in unknown space he is you know coming from a completely different culture than what would be known to the empire. Um, you learned that in the unknown regions, there is what's considered like chaos space, I think is what it's called, where um, 
you know, they have to be on top of it. They have to be anticipating any possible issues that would arise every single time they get in their little spaceships to go places. Um, They are trained to think while on edge and be able to make snap decisions and think things through really rapidly. Um, And so when he, you know, is going about doing his Thrawn stuff in the original trilogy to outsiders or from the perspective of the other characters looking on, you know, it seems like he's just this genius who's anticipating every possible thing that could happen and is always 10 steps ahead of everyone. And, you know, really that just goes back to his training from his younger years and from that culture and that, lifestyle that he had to live um sorry i'm getting off track here i think i'm not sure but yeah um he's just really neat um the whole you know aesthetic too i just i love blue hair blue eyes blue skin i don't know all of that kind of plays into it too yeah, I think um, he, oh, yeah. he's just very, he's different than I think other, other admirals or other heads of the empire that we've seen in other things. Just his mood, his aesthetic, the way he handles himself, the way he leads is all just very different. And I think it makes him a very interested, char- interesting character overall. Yeah, it's it's interesting because so like I said, having not read the actual books just yet, um, my first introduction to him as a character really was the Star Wars Rebels uh, television series, and in that show, you know every every other primary villain is either Vader or. By the time he comes, Callus is technically turned, but Callus was a primary villain for the first two seasons. Um, and then Grand uh, uh, Grand, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. And Tarkin is this very kind of... He's kind of a... He's kind of reserved, kind of like that, but he's also not really as good at his job as, as everyone thinks he is. Um... Kalos is very much the he's very much a Zuko esque character in my opinion in that in that he is almost driving himself in, insane trying to catch these rebels and then of course Vader is Vader but then you have Thrawn who in my opinion at that point is with the exception of Vader the most terrifying of, of the group because like you said he is someone who is very calculated he's very reserved but he is also very effective at what he does. And that's yes. when, when, when a villain is actually effective is when they are terrifying, in my opinion, um, because, you know, how, how many times have we seen, you know, especially looking at superhero films, different things like that, where it's like, I mean, you know, they're a good villain, but let's face it. They're, they're not going to take down Iron Man. They're not going to take down Wonder Woman. They're not going to take down Superman, you know, or so or Batman's going to win in the end that, you know, that concept. But that's what makes certain certain villains, you know, and Thrawn, I think, definitely goes into that. 
as in someone that is interesting because you know they just might be able to pull this off. Yeah. Uh, so and like all of that is not to say that he's not capable of great violence. Um, I think sometimes we fall into seeing like, okay, this person is either going to be just like an absolute maniac and lose their temper and kill a bunch of people all at once, or they're just going to be, you know, sort of a doormat of a villain and not do anything at all. And he is not that kind of character, like either one of those. Um, Another interesting thing about the book series is that he essentially, you know, without giving anything away, essentially like enslaves a race of creatures to be his personal assassins. And that's like insane. And they're very effective and good at what they do. But, you know, he also has absolutely no qualms about just killing them on a whim if they don't do exactly what he needs them to. Um, So, yeah, he's just very interesting. Not not a good person, not a good person at all, but a very good character. Well, I am. I am very intrigued to read to read those books. I've I've wanted to for a long time. I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, you know, just different things happened. Um, and also to see him presumably in the Ahsoka series. I'm very very intrigued to see where that goes. Um, yeah. But but yes. Uh, moving on, uh, DJ. So you you had chosen a favorite character that is someone that I don't really hear. Too often in the favorite in the favorite character category, um, he's obviously a great character, but I am curious where does the love of Lando Calrissian really come from for you? Love Lando. It's just he's different, man. Mm-hmm. I thank you. I mean, he's different. I mean, who do you not love? Somebody just comes into a scene wearing a cape. I mean, like he's like well, that's, a, that's, that's a pretty fair, dope. Fair, like, yeah. I, yes. I mean, because you think of somebody with a cape, you think of Superman, Batman, anti-heroes, and the fact that, you know, he's a gambler, smuggler, smooth talker, and, you know, his history is just, it's just, just so much to the character, not to spoil too much for him as well, but, you know, some people are, may may not know that he's the original holder of the Millennial Falcon, um, how he lost that in a bit, in a, playing cards with, um, Han. And so seeing him being reunited back with Han, you know, giving Han some troubles by flirting with Leia and things of that nature, you can definitely tell there was an old friendship that was there prior to them meeting at Cloud City. And, you know, it's just the character itself. I mean, like I said, there's a lot to him. He's very mysterious. You don't know if you can trust the guy. You don't know if he's going to betray you. But deep down, I mean, to me, he has a heart of gold. I mean, people look at him at Empire Strikes Back that well he turned over his friends just so he can keep power at cloud city but you gotta look at the at the time in star wars people want to get away from the empire people want no parts of it so when of course the empire's threatening his place in cloud city to me i would like to think that lando was looking out for his people and then eventually realized even looking after his people is going to cost one of his good friends maybe his life and who knows what that's going to lead to and so just kind of knowing that little bit about him made him interesting enough to want to read and to be my favorite character. 
more so or less. Sure. Uh, yeah. No, I, it's, Lando's probably my, yeah, he, he's probably my favorite character in the Star Wars comics right now, like the main Star Wars title, because it's currently um, set between Empire and Return of the Jedi. It's kind of filling in the gaps between the film. Um, and Lando, it's it's inter- it's interesting how they're riding him because they're basically kind of playing it off as a he is someone that is with the Rebel Alliance because it's kind of the best move for him right now. He's still trying to kind of make some deals. He's trying to do some stuff on the side, um, right? And it's I'm really intrigued to see because of course like where where we're at in the comics is like maybe uh maybe like a few months has passed since empire so we're not to we're not to return of the jedi lando yet we're not to the 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 general calrissian yet and i'm mm-hmm. i'm i'm interested in seeing kind of where the storyline is going to take him on that um it's uh it's it's really good and if it, and if anyone's listening and has been considering getting into the star wars comics Pick up anything that's written by Charles Soule over the last few months uh, since the, since they have done like Empire Ascendant, I think was technically the starting point where basically picks up right after uh, right after Luke's just lost his hand and has had the duel on Cloud City and everything. And then it goes right into it. And it's been really, really good and definitely worth checking out for everybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, between and, and also, you know, the, the other thing, man, is like you've you got. Depending on which movie you're watching, you got Billy D. Williams and Donald Glover. I mean, two of the two guys that just like just exude this suave, just cool coolness factor. You know, just you, you when you see them on screen, you want to see more of them. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I uh, if it's still not technically official, I don't think yet. But I I cannot tell you how many seasons I would watch of Donald Glover just doing this as Lando Calrissian. I would watch that so much. I I, I please make it happen, Disney. Please just let, let us have that. That that sounds great. Um. But uh, moving forward. You know, I, oh oh yes no go ahead. No you're good Jacob. I mean uh-huh. like you said I would love to see the Lando series. Um, but you know, with Disney right now, I think they kind of, especially going over there at Lucasfilms, I think they got their hands in white, their plate too full at the moment because we've seen, we haven't heard anything yet, to my knowledge, of, you know, the Lando series. Um, Rangers of the New, um, is it Rangers of the New Republic, I believe? They uh, were, the, you know, they're acolytes. Yeah. They had th- those. Were, those are kind of the three that they've been talking about that they haven't. They they just um, uh, they just cast the first the the lead character in the Acolyte series. But Rangers of the New Republic and Lando they had said they were going to do, and we haven't heard anything about them here recently. Um, we know Kenobi is happening this year, uh, as well as Andor, yes. and then supposedly a, the Ahsoka series is filming this year and to, for a next year release. Um, which means, of course, we still got Mandalorian season three. <clears throat> I'm assuming Boba Fett will get a second season, probably. So you know, and we got Bad Batch season two coming out too as well. Bad Batch two, exactly. So, so they, like you said, they, they definitely have their plate full, you know. And but, but I mean, it's 
Marvel also has their plate full, man, and we're and we're, we're getting all those too. So I just, uh, it's it's me being greedy. It's it's me getting a lot of really cool Star Wars stuff, but still wanting more. I will readily admit that, but uh, but you know that's just oh yeah, we're always wanting more. Exactly, it's 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 it's, 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 it's part of, it's us being fans, you know. It's it's part of it. Um, speaking of Ahsoka, Al, you had said that Ahsoka was one of your favorite characters. You had you had said Obi Wan Kenobi or Ahsoka, probably your favorite characters. Um, you know, it's Ahsoka is a character that has really just kind of come into her own uh, beyond just being a side character in a show or a side character in a movie. Um, so just talk to me a little bit about Ahsoka, just your, your your thoughts on her and how she has really affected the the Star Wars franchise over the last going on 14 years now. Um, I would be happy to. Um, so... Um, I do love Ahsoka. Um, Ahsoka has become one of uh, my favorite characters. If not my favorite, then definitely um, consistently in my top three. Um, um, I love Ahsoka. And and Ahsoka's journey in Star Wars and the fandom has been kind of interesting. Because um, she started out, and it's still one of the things I love the most about her, um, for people who don't know who Ahsoka even is, who haven't uh, watched a lot of stuff outside the movies, um, Ahsoka was the Padawan of Anakin um, during the Clone Wars. Um, she she studied under him. She went on adventures with him and things like that. It was great. Um, and, and one of the original things that Ahsoka was known for and one of the things I originally loved about her was that she brought... Um, a more in-depth look at the human side of who Anakin is. Um, because, you know, prior to her appearance, uh, prior to the Clone Wars, um, on the cartoon at least, um, we don't see a lot of humanity in Anakin um, very often. Um, just going by, like, the prequel films, I mean, the standout scenes that we see from Anakin are him at age nine um i'm destroying an enemy ship and just weeing and wooing through the <laughs> carnage um, <laughs> um we see him just um genocide an entire tribe of of tuscans um you know obviously after i'm um, a ton of him emotional turmoil for sure uh but the follow-up scenes we see about it we see and we see padme just immediately affirm him um zero zero worries in her head about what happened um and we see him him deal with the turmoil but not ever really seeing him really deal and come to a resolution of what that says about him and what kind of responsibility he has he's just in turmoil because you know he's he's had a rough time that's kind of his whole thing is that anakin skywalker is in a constant uh, state of turmoil uh but we don't see a lot of the human side of anakin we see flashes of it when he's interacting with obi-wan for sure those are easily the best scenes from the prequel films and we see it at the end of return of the jedi <laughs> when he's talking to luke and about to die but what Ahsoka did is Ahsoka brought a much more intimate human side 
to who Anakin Skywalker was. We see her go on adventures with him. We see her um, crack jokes um, alongside Anakin. We see her grow through through studying under him. We see Anakin grow through being um, the master and the mentor of her and kind of having a taste of his own medicine from being, you know, a wild, kind of reckless, kind of troublesome student for Obi-Wan. Um, Ahsoka also has that kind of reckless, kind of wild side to her as well. And we see him having to um, to deal with that. Um, and so just what she brought um, to Anakin as a character was great. It was easy, uh, at least for me, to really appreciate um, and fall in love with. You get past that and you get um, late into the Clone Wars cartoons. You get into uh, on the Rebel show. You get into all of this other stuff and we see that ahsoka even removed from anakin we see that she's just a great character we see that she is is one of those is one of those jedi one of those force users who understands the force in her own way who has a very unique understanding of what the force is and how she's supposed to use it and we see her be you know, kind of uh, become a champion of the people, become a champion of of the rebellion, become a champion of people outside the Jedi Order whose lives are being affected by the Clone Wars but aren't Jedi themselves. So, you know, we don't see the Jedi Council ever really think twice about them. Um, she has interactions with them. And... In, and we see her come to an understanding that, hey, the Force, as I said earlier, the Force isn't just something that the elite few have access to and it's a, a super special secret thing. It's something that should be available to everybody. And as we see Ahsoka grow and grow apart from the Jedi Council and grow apart from Anakin and Obi-Wan, we see her develop this identity as somebody who wants to share... Um, the light of the Jedi, ha ha ha, if you will, with <laughs> with other people, uh, with people who don't usually get any thought about them. Um, on the downtrodden and and on the lower parts of society, we see her reach out to them and be a light for them. And so we've just seen her growth over so many years through so many different shows and things like that. We see her become a leader of the rebellion. We see her become a mentor to so many people. And so we've been able to see this transformation and this journey with Ahsoka um, on the scale of very few other characters in Star Wars uh, that we get to see. You know, it's comparable to what we see from Luke. Um, it's kind of comparable, even though it's kind of weird to, to the journey we see Anakin go through by the time we get to the end of Return of the Jedi. But we see Ahsoka go from a rash, kind of reckless, young Padawan to becoming someone who puts everyone else ahead of herself, who reaches out to people who who the, the Republic and the Council have completely forgotten if they even knew those people existed anyway. And that kind of transformation is just... Um, really, really easy to be invested in. Um, so that's why I love Ahsoka so much. 
uh, I have nothing to add. I mean, that just, yeah, no, you you hit the nail on the head. Just every, everything about that character, the, I, I, I couldn't get into the original Clone Wars cartoon as well, or the Dave Filoni cart- uh, cartoon as much, but uh, until later. But getting into Rebels, just when she shows up, you know, in season two and everything, I just from the entirety of season two, in my opinion, is hers pretty much. I mean, e- even leading up to the big climatic battle with Vader at the end, um, you know, it's just she commands the screen in a lot of ways, but not in the same way that. Like a like a really powerful like Luke or 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 someone like like Obi Wan would, but it's because like you said she is such a she has such a heart for people and she is such a genuine person that I just I, I love her character. I cannot wait to see what they give what they do for her in her own series. Just yeah, Ahsoka's uh, great. Also, she's one of um, the few characters we see who use two lightsabers instead of one. Um, that's just awesome. That's just a cool aesthetic. So but yeah, I mean, it's all yeah. yeah, never, never. It's never not cool to see two two lightsabers or a double bladed lightsaber or anything else like that. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, so we do have one final question. All right, and this is gonna be another kind of roundtable one. Uh, Josh already knows it, so he already has kind of an answer he's gonna do. So that way, it'll give you all time to think. This was uh, one I wanted to surprise everybody with. So, for those of you who are new to Star Wars lore, um, and for those of you who may not know about this aspect of it, there is such a thing called old canon and new canon, or, or old canon is called legends sometimes, depending on what you want to call it. Me and Al kind of give a more uh, in-depth uh, discussion of this here in the next podcast, but for those of you right now... <clears throat> Um, when Disney took over, basically, a lot of the older books that basically pretty much anything that wasn't the Clone Wars, Dave Filoni series, or the films was considered non-canon at that point in Legends. So, however, a lot of it, such as Grand Admiral Thrawn, has been brought into the new canon and then added in in different ways. So I am curious, if you could bring one thing from the old canon... What would it be? And we're going to start off with Josh. So if you could bring one thing from the old canon or from the Legends uh, universe to main Star Wars storylines, what would it be? You know, I I started with uh, Grumpy Old Man Answer, and I'm going to end with Grumpy Old Man Answer. Absolutely. Um, My my opinion would be uh, that I would like to see some of the old uh, Civil War Tales of Jedi stuff be brought over. Um, But I say that with this addendum, okay? Hmm. Um, I would be perfectly fine if they didn't bring anything else over. And the reason I the reason I say that is this, um, and and what is becoming a very very hot take, um, amongst Star Wars fans, uh, but I will probably hold it to my dying days, is that Disney needed to save Star Wars from itself. And the reason I say that is y'all just spent. Eight to ten minutes, you know, um, venerating a character that I promise you George Lucas did not care at all about. Like, mm-hmm. at all. And, and and the reason I know that is because George Lucas admittedly didn't care about any of the stuff that was in the movies. 
And yet you have this fantastic character, you know, in, in Ahsoka, you know, who, who has an entire new life that has no attachment to any of the movies because George Lucas didn't care to do it. Just didn't care at all. And one of the things that we see that's, that's happening real, really that the Disney stuff has had a strength with there's, there's Christmas with the Disney stuff, but their strength is that man, it's, it's connected. It's all connected. If you, if you want to find out why, uh, I don't know if you want to find out why C3PO has a red arm, there's a comic book series for that. I've got the comic. Okay. Um, if you want to know about what, what was, what was the little dudes, uh, that that we thought were going to be important. They had the, the helmet in the Star Wars force awakens. Constable Zuvio. Yes. If you if you want to Constable Zuvio Yes. If you want to know why Constable Zuvio is important, <laughs> why there's an action figure for that, well, let me tell you, there's a book about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and they've done a really good job of being like, look, if we're going to put something in this world, it's going to connect. Okay, which is something that all of the old canon stuff did not do. Which is why, by the time you get to the Yuuzhan Vong and all that stuff. Man, I I don't even I don't even want to tell you what a Jedi is, which is you know I, it's it's because it's all over the place, um, and it's contradicting everything. You literally have things where like you know Jason just comes out and you know like and will be like, well you know you know Luke probably screwed up by by not killing Darth Vader, and it's like considered to be like a like a good thing in the Yuuzhan Vong War when he says that, and you're just like that doesn't make any sense. They kill off Chewbacca. You know, like like all these all these things happen that don't really seem to to matter because George Lucas doesn't care. So he's not he's just like just giving the residual checks. And so, yeah, I mean, there's stuff we can bring in from the old canon, but uh, this was the only opportunity I saw to 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 kind of make the statement that like, you know, if, if you're a Star Wars fan, you're worried about like, well, Disney's ruining it. You know, there's there's criticisms, okay? But if you love Ahsoka Tono, and I I, I say her name different every single time, um, and it, it doesn't help that I have a cold because I can't say it, you know. Um, but if you love that character, okay, you know, then you need to be, you know, at least understand that Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, you know, John Favreau, Favreau. you know, uh, I guess now Robert Rodriguez randomly. Yeah. These guys are are trying to create something that is connected and that makes sense within this world. And that was something that George Lucas just didn't care about. But anyway, back to my original, uh, XR Coon, uh, for life. Yeah. Well, on the, uh, lighter side of that, yeah, XR Coon is a great character, you know, uh, he, he would be my choice as well. Um, would love to see, which technically, like the higher public, doesn't really contradict any of that. Um, no, and, I, that's, and, that's one of the reasons why I mentioned that one because te- higher Republic is going out of its way to be like, you know, Yoda's still around, so like it's not that far. The past, yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> so like, so I'm, I, I, I don't know. I, I would like to see some of the older Republic stuff, like we were talking about with Jim earlier with the Mandalorian Wars. That's about what two thousand years before four thousand, four thousand, four thousand. Yeah, but okay. Um, so I would, I would like to see a lot of that too. So yeah, that that would be my pick as well. Um, Alyssa, what what would be your pick, or do you or do you have anybody in mind? There any concept, character, anything that you would bring in from the old canon to the new set? This might be something that was brought up in maybe one of the shows. Um, I don't 
remember honestly because I haven't watched very many of the animated series, but um, it'd be really neat to like get something <clears throat> with the planet Dathomir, um, just from that courtship of Princess Leia storyline where you learn this is the planet that the rancors are from here's like this whole society of like matriarchal witches who are force sensitive here um you just learn so much cool stuff and that would be really neat to see translated to film or tv um so that would be my vote i think that would be really neat um i would say the uzan vong as well that Josh just talked about, but honestly, they terrify me. <laughs> the The few books that I read where they kind of show up were like definitely more of like a horror genre of Star Wars. So, um, so yeah, that would be my vote. The the, the Death of Our Witches they show up in Clone Wars. They show up a lot in Clone Wars. Yeah, yeah. So they uh, do. Uh, That's yeah. cool. So, I like that. Uh, so- the, the Dave Filoni Clone Wars, and this is something me and Al are definitely going to be talking about next month when we talk about getting Tarnikovsky's show. Um, it has a very high ceiling and a very low basement, basement, in my opinion. It has some episodes where I was just like, why is this even happening? I want to Jar-jar. skip. Jar Jar, yeah. yeah. Um, but, then, but then it has episodes where I'm like, this is fantastic. It is strengthening the lore. It's doing a lot of really cool stuff. I want to see more of this. Um, around season... Al, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you you probably know it a little bit better than I do. I think it's around season four, season five-ish. I think it's season five, because it's the last of the original five seasons. Um, they have a really big storyline with Asajj Ventress uh, and Dooku, and they're the ones who bring back Darth Maul. Um, because Darth Maul is the son of Dathomir. They give him chicken legs. And they, give, they don't give him chicken legs. Um, so... You know, they play a very, very big part in that, and they're they're different, but they are really, really cool. And I would, and I highly suggest you uh, you check that out. The use on Vogue, I, I I tend to I, I lean a little bit more with Josh on that. I they're interesting. I like them. They are absolutely terrifying. But I think the one thing I would have changed about some of the stuff I've heard, read about them, um, and something I would do if they ever did decide to do a newer story where they were bringing them in was make sure that it's not so focused on them that you forget who the main characters are and you forget what it means to be a Jedi, like like Josh said. Um, and, you know, Jason Solo being Jason Solo. Just I mean, it's a, that's thing. also where you can see... Uh, listen, who's the one that builds the Death Cannon? Is it Anakin or Ben that builds the Death Cannon in that? It's Anakin, isn't it? Um, I don't really remember... The books that I read that had them in it um, were, like, way earlier than that, like, okay. earlier in their storyline. I think, um, was it was it the Crystal Star that they show well, up for the first time? Probably. Possibly. They're in, like, I think, I can't remember how many books are. I know, but anyway, towards the end, Anakin... It's Anakin Solo. It's yeah, it's Anakin Solo. Because he's the inventor. Okay, yeah. And so, like, he, he he's is, the one who... He's the one that... Yeah, he, he dies. dies. So, like... But he, he like... He, he just is... So, you got... It's... It's... It's uh, it's amazing how serious I took this when I was reading it. But, like, he's 16 years old, and he builds, like, a Death Star-style cannon to, to take down the Yuzon Vong. And, like... Gotcha. And, like, Luke is kind of, like... That might, be, that might be a bad idea. I don't know if we should do that or not. 
I was wrong. It was definitely not the Crystal Star. But I can't remember. It sound right. I can't. It, I don't it, know. It's one of the Victor books. Prime? It's Victor. Um, is it Vector Prime, Melissa? That's the first one, I think. Because that's maybe? So, that, so that's the first R.A. Salvatore uh, Star Wars book, and of course he was he's the big fantasy uh, author that then kind of came over, and that's also the one where unfortunately Chewbacca dies at the end. Yeah. Um, and oh, that was gotcha. the reason Spoiler. that's kind of such a big novel is because one, it is the first prince of the use on volume from, if I remember correctly, and could absolutely be wrong on that. But also it's, I know it's the first time that they really started taking them seriously as a threat because even as a, as a reader or as a viewer aspect, this is the first time that we've seen them kill someone who is from the original films. Um, well, they, so <laughs> We're getting off track here. The best part about that was that was literally the only person that, like, they, they asked Lucasfilm, uh, like, who could I kill off? And they said, you cannot kill any human characters. And so, like, Chewbacca was the one. Which also kind of, like... That, that hurts me. me. Yeah, that hurts me. <laughs> it's like, so Chewbacca's less of a human Is he like, less of a How like, dare you? But, yeah, they couldn't kill off any of the human characters. Which is why you see, like, all of their children eventually dying horribly. Like, the only two that live are Ben and, and Jaina. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because so, Jason becomes Cadus, And then, yeah, that is a that is a whole other thing. Yeah. That's a whole other storyline. Um, which, Lord, Al, Al, next year we might just, we might just tackle the that 20-book series. Um, <laughs> it's, and, not, and just, it's not that many. But it's, it's if we're doing it's the a lot. <laughs> if we're doing if we go use on Vaughn to Darth Cadus, it's a long. Oh, if you do, oh yeah, if you do all that, it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I'm but sitting really, here I'm right now, about. scrolling through the names of different Star Wars books that I've read, trying to find the name of this one book because it was really good. Um, it was like a Luke off on his own having an adventure kind of book, and basically they show up out of deep space no one knows what to do with them they have like this organic ship um and yeah it's just it's a really good story all around like it's a a one-off like on its own and then afterwards they're like huh these guys might be a problem at some point in the future let's not talk about this again for like 20 years yep (laughs) um and that's that's the story for the life of me think of which one it is anyway yeah all Uh, of that to say they're really neat but they freak me out fair uh dj did you you say something my friend i'm sorry uh oh no you're good i mean that's great conversation so i'm guessing we're just gonna be burning the midnight oil then going through everything tonight huh (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe not everything maybe not everything uh DJ, what what would you bring from the old canon into the new into the new stuff? Then we'll we'll finish out with Al. Well, it just oh no, you're good, you're good. Um, it's just it just varies. I may need um the wise sage to help me with this. Um, would you consider Darth Plagueis the Wise old or new? Because it's really quite a bit of controversy with that character. Uh, okay, so yeah. What did they do with that? Because that's so, so first and foremost, first and foremost. <laughs> The Darth Plagueis books uh, are fantastic. Uh, I, what I, what I uh, are you thinking of Plagueis or Bane? Beautiful. I'm thinking of Plagueis. Yeah, yes. Okay. I, he only has one though. I thought he had two. Okay. Darth Maybe Bane. I'm thinking of Bane. Darth Bane has the trilogy. He's the rule of two. 
Darth Plagueis is he has uh, a, yeah. Sorry, master. sorry. Darth Plagueis is, is top, top. That that book is good though. Yes, it is. Okay. Yes. All right. The Darth Plagueis book's fantastic, and I think it is considered uh, still new. I think it's considered canon. Uh, I mean, I don't. I know, for, no for, one's contradicted my, it. No, from my understanding, I heard the book wasn't considered canon, but in the movie it was. Okay. Kind of, kind of like, uh, kind of like um, what they're, I guess, with uh, Thrawn, how they're bringing him into canon now. Is, so it's, it's kind of in between. But if yeah. I need a safer answer, I would, I would choose Darth Nihilus. But to me, Plagueis would be a character that would make so much sense as far as the Skywalker trilogy. Um, you know, we know little about him. We don't know really where I'm besides the book, and I don't want to spoil the book for anyone, but. Besides the movies, you just only know of him through his name and through the story when he, um, Palpatine explaining to uh, Anakin why they're shooting the movie theater and attack of the, I believe, wasn't it the uh, Revenge of the Sith? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, so it's just that's the only time we hear of it. And just that character really, to me, is what opens up the Skywalker saga. But like you said uh, earlier too, though, Josh, not to get too sidetracked to the other conversations, it's just the fact that. You know, everything in, I guess, the Legends era, like you said, it's uh, not organized. It's kind of loopholes, errors here and there. Disney, to me, it's not that much different. Um, because I think even J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson, everybody admitted they had no idea where they were taking the saga when they decided to make these movies. And so the only thing to save in Disney, to me, are these series. But that's all I'm going to leave right there. I'm not going to get too much into it. <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll second you on Darth Nihilus, though, because I do think uh, the biggest disappointing to me, the biggest disappointment to me in in, in uh, uh, Kotor two uh, is is Darth is how Darth Nihilus ends in that because you build him up. Not not. By the way, uh, did I do the spoiler alert on a twenty year old game? Probably no. Not. Okay, go right. ahead. But anyway, he gets built up no, as like the, do what you got to do. Well, <laughs> I, he just gets built up as the world ending threat so much so these uh, two other Sith lords. Like one of them is just like I don't even believe in the force anymore. The other one is like <laughs> is like has like killed himself and come back to try and stop him. And then like you you finally just walk up and beat him at like this really kind of like standard boss encounter. Uh, <laughs> and it's just it's just kind of absolutely. Like, yeah, it, it, it's I, he was such he had a great design and like just the concept of him being able to like because he he can. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's the one that can still he he can steal the force from people, right? Like that's his whole thing. Yeah, he like he consumes the force. He consumes the force. Yeah. yeah, and like man, that's such a cool concept. And like you know, they build him up as the world-ending threat, and then you just kind of go in there and just kind of beat him, and then you know, okay, God, that's over. Now time to move on, and you know, decide if I want to be a separate. <laughs> no, or not. Yeah, that was kind of weird. It was really weird because like you said it's like this guy consumes planets lives 900 years so on and you just like I said choose your character's fate build beat them one thin a boss fight and it's just like is that it this this big bad that we uh, was afraid in the beginning of the game is just simple easy beating just like that yeah i don't know but yeah i agree i'd, I'd like to i'd like to see more done of that character yeah really all the characters in that game because that the characters in in, in Nice Republic Two are really good, and I feel like a lot of them get the short end of the stick. A lot, of, I think. I think a lot of people overlook the second one because the first one is considered the better of the two. 
It is, which which objectively it is, but but like you said, the characters in the second one are so interesting. Um, For me, uh, a lot of the old Republic and the and New Republic, a lot of the non movie stuff, where my real understanding from it actually originated from the game Star Wars Miniatures, the tabletop game, uh, the Wizards of the Coast one. And so I remember there was a guy who had a Darth Nihilus, and let me tell you, when you have, like, the best Luke, and at this point, because it's that time in Star Wars period, you have Vader's Apprentice redeemed for your Rebel team, and you're like, okay, we, I, I, I've got a shot here. And then the other guy's playing the Sith faction, and Darth Nihilus comes up and they start stealing your Force powers. Yeah. You know, it's... It's 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 kind of it's kind of crushing. Yeah. Um. So, so to contrast that with like you said, like I, I never actually played it. But I watched a let's play of it later, and seeing Darth Nihilus just kind of go down, just like every other boss in that game. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm. That didn't seem to follow. It just, it's, it's just. You put like forty hours into that game, and he's the whole time just like, you've got like. You've got a Sith handmaiden who's like, listen, we've got to do something about this. You've got this old woman who's literally like, I don't like I, I'm an atheist now because of this. You've got like you've got like, like, like all this time just getting up to that character. And then like it's just. And it's kind of an it's like, I mean, maybe I, I don't know. Like I thought it was kind of an easy boss battle, too. Like it only took like a couple tries to beat it, you know, as opposed to some of the others. So, uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, that, that's 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 a good pick. That's a good pick. I kind of kind of wish I thought. Yeah, I, I like that one. Thank you. What, what do you think they'll make them a little bit harder when they do the remake for next year? Well, the the remakes of one. It's right? the first one. Yeah. yeah, they now here's the thing though. If the first oh, one right. succeeds really well, they might go ahead and do a remake of the of the of the second one. I would. The remake. Um, one of the things they stated. Or one of the rumors that's going around is that they're going to uh, redo the battle system, um, which I I do not think that battle system translates uh, anymore. Because I mean I, I I'm you know I, the so some of those particularly when, particularly when you're by yourself in the first one and you're not commanding anybody mm. and it's just you just like walking up somebody and hitting X or you know or you know or uh, well, I can't even remember what it'd be on the, uh, on, uh, you know, on the, uh, a? a, it'd be a on, <laughs> on the Xbox. We hit a on the Xbox and you just watch as they just like, you know, slice, start, slice, start, slice, just slice. Whack you know, like it's, I, that, that's going to be hard to translate. That's the main thing I'm wondering if they're going to change that, uh, combat style. But if they do, if they do this, I would, I'd rather see a remake of the second one than the first one. Cause I think the first one's kind of unimpeachable. And I think the second one is the one that needs the, the update, the update. Gotcha. Well, uh, moving on to the finale, we got way off track there. We did, we did, but, but, but that, but that was good. You know, Darth Nihilus is, is a great, is a great pick. Um, someone I would definitely like to see more of and know more about. Um, Jacob. How, oh yes. Uh, I realized I made a mistake. I figured it out, the book thing, because it was bothering me. Um, So the book I was thinking of was Truce at Baccarat, which, in my defense, the alien race that comes out of deep space 
and causes a problem from them is very, very similar, even though it's not the same one. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. that's where that confusion came from. Teresa Bakker. I've never actually read that one, Teresa but I've seen it. the one that takes place, like, one year after, you know, like, I mean, yeah. like, it's still kind of, like, a ditz and everything. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. It's like literally they just dealt with the second Death Star and then they're like, oh, by the way, this planet way out here is having some issues. Someone go help. And Luke is like, I'm going to repress my feelings and emotions about everything that just happened. And I'm going to go over here now. (laughs) And so that's how all of that happens. But yeah. Um, In my defense, they are not the same race of aliens from deep space that come out, but they are very similar in the sense that they still use like organic life forms to power their machinery. And also they're terrifying. So there's that. Okay, I gotcha. Well, it might be might be one we cover. uh, We cover in the future then. I know I've seen it before. I know. Oh, the Nelson Library has it. I know that. Um, the handshake. We have it. Gotcha. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, so Al's already ready then. Um, but speaking of Al, Al, if you could bring one thing from the old canon, what what would it be? Um. Well, you know, I had an answer, and then um, you went on the tangent about the tabletop game and said um, Vader's apprentice redeemed, and I would like to change my answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I hadn't thought about Starkiller in forever. Um, anyway, though, uh, what, that's not my real answer. What was your first, was your first answer, answer then? I'm sorry? What was your first answer then? Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I just really <laughs> want to see Starkiller now. Um, um, no, my original answer actually goes back to one of the first things we talked about tonight. Um, I would love to see... Or a jade. Um, okay, gotcha. I am a firm believer that that character can work, um, even in the new canon, even with the changes that have happened. Um, I'm honestly a believer where you can do a really great, um, like a series on Disney Plus about her, and not really have to change anything other than her ultimately um, becoming the wife of Luke Skywalker. Um, I think you can tell her story um, pretty much unchanged from how it appears in like and like um, *Heir to the Empire* um, and like uh, on that first Thrawn trilogy and the backstory about her that you get of her being the hand of the Emperor, of her being kind of like on um, the dark side, like black ops um, kind of agent. Um, I think that would work great. Um, and again, you can even have her eventually interact, uh, with Luke Skywalker, have her be an agent for the remnants of the empire after return of the Jedi and have her conflict with him and have a similar telling of that story where, um, eventually, you know, they have to cooperate, they have to work together and she gradually learns to let go of her hate and to see Palpatine for what he truly was. Um, and become more of like, um, if not a hero of the light side, then at least a more of like a neutral kind of character and then just kind of tell brand new stories from there. Uh, but yeah, I firmly believe um, she is 
a very viable character. Um, all you have to do is just say, hey, in this in this new canon, she does not hook up with Luke. And and that's one of the few things you have to change in my mind. So, yeah, I would love to see her come to life. And I would love to see the rumors that came out before about her uh, being played by Brie Larson. I would love to see that happen. That would put the b- biggest smile on my face because I know the kind of Star Wars fans that I don't like would lose their minds over that. So <laughs> bring it on. I'm down for it. So so basically what, what you're saying is like you want a decision that will not only um, annoy certain Star Wars fans, but do it in such a way that it actually just like nearly destroys them pretty much is what you're getting at. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's, okay, gotcha. Let the grand c- 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 culling of the Star Wars fan base um, let it begin. Um, in Damn. in other words, um, Dave Filoni execute Hoarder sixty six, where you cast Brie <laughs> Larson in Star Wars. <laughs> cast Brie Larson and then execute Hoarder sixty six. There, there you go. There you go. Well, that is that is. I, I cannot think of a better of a better yeah, place to end it. Yeah, that that is that is the best way to end it. Um, DJ, I want to thank you once again yeah. so much for joining us. Um, I also want to extend a thanks, another big thank you to Jim for also joining us. I know he had to leave a little bit earlier. Um, but thank you both so much. You guys were fantastic guests, great conversations. Definitely want to have you guys on again in the future as well. Um, as always, my fan of correspondence, Josh, Alyssa, Al. You guys were great. You're amazing. Cannot wait to do more EU or EU review with you, Al. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I already, I, I gotta be honest, as much as I love Light of the Jedi, and I was excited to do that first episode, uh, next month, for those of you who don't know, we are doing Guinea Tartakovsky's uh, Clone Wars series, which is on, um, which is on Disney+. Plus. I love that series so much, and I cannot wait to talk about it with you. Um, but, uh, yes, we are going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, may the force be with you as always. Remember fandom is for everyone. Love y'all. Have a wonderful night. Love you.